today we are talking to Sean. Hi, Sean. Hi. Uh, Sean is an independent software developer. He's also creator of Parinfer. And today's discussion will focus on editing Lisps. So, Sean, maybe it will be actually good to start to maybe talk about why we even have parentheses in Lisps and why someone chose them over, I don't know, any other notation. It's weird. Um, it's almost as if the parentheses chose them <laughs> because they, right. it kind of started with this weird history where they're uh, kind of working on this idea. They're trying to, they weren't really trying to construct a syntax. They just had this idea that these commands, the structure of their language would just follow like these sentences and the sentence just okay. became like this list structure. So whenever they're specifying how these things would be evaluated, they just kind of became uh, a very simple notation for how to represent these sentences without, without any regard over how this is going to look in the future or how it's going to be used. It was almost a temporary thing that they used. But as soon as they made the eval function, they realized that that became an interpreter. And once they created this interpreter, it just kind of solidified this, this uh, temporary notation and fully expecting that this would sort of uh, change. They would have this different syntax that would make it, make it more readable. And they just kind of kept feeding into this form and getting used to it. So it just became something that they knew they would never keep. And it just became something that they kept. So mm. um, Lisp was largely an accident. <laughs> All right. So it's like this kind of invention that you think like it will never stick and then just becomes a thing. Exactly. Um, yeah, people get used to things as well. We could also just put it very simply like that. I don't know why, but it, it said in the original document that uh, John McCarthy wrote in 1979 that it was just, it was something they started to prefer over Fortran and the more readable languages, which is strange. More, more readable. That's a nice way to put it. <laughs> yeah, I guess. Yeah, I always wonder, like, where is the, like, when does it even start? It was this, I, I, so, you know, sometimes if you probably don't read all of the stuff, like how this came to be. Um, you wonder, you know, maybe they just want to go against the, I don't know, default process at this time when they have all of the other languages. But I think it's good to uh, un untangle all of this sometimes. Yeah, I mean, that's that kind of plays on the whole narrative where we try to look back at history and say that they kind of had this intention of doing these things. They, they kind of, John McCarthy kind of writes about how this, the mathematical neatness just sort of became a goal because they we're hoping that some pure things would fall out of it, like being able to prove the correctness of these programs, which might be seen as easier with this very uniform syntax. And I think this whole syntax or this neatness, I recall it, it brought some different ways to editing the parentheses. You had a very good talk at uh, Closure Conch. Uh, which year was this? Uh, 2017. You know, I think it's hard in the audio format to actually talk about all of those things. Uh, well, maybe let's just give it a try. So there are different editors in a way you can actually edit uh, Lisps. Are there any good examples that we could talk about? I think the entire lineage of what Interlisp did with their editing was really interesting because you can see this very natural progression from uh, very simple structure editing. And then you can see them trying to carry that into the GUI, um, trying to mix in the operations 
with very like creative creative expressions of the mouse and uh, different types of selections that you can use. It became this really interesting language for manipulating the structure. And it's kind of sad to see at the end, it was kind of quickly forgotten. And then, then you have something like par edit that is very standard today. It, mm -hmm. you can look at the original readme of it and it says that it basically cherry picks very basic features out of that last editor, which was S edit. And it, it kind of expressed this with a little bit of sadness that like we we're not able to use that last part, uh, that last uh, great GUI editor for the, for this kind of structured editing. Um, and then it just says, uh, th this is probably a best attempt to make this for Emacs. So, um, yeah, we can, we can, we can start with the very first one. It was, uh, I think it was in 1967. What was very special about this? It's, it's interesting. I'm not, I'm not too familiar with how other languages were edited back in this day. I think it was line based so that you were not really seeing the entire file at a time, but imagine that you're at a uh, sort of a command prompt and you're editing by sort of printing uh, the current line number, the, the current line of the file that you're in. So imagine you're kind of bringing your cursor down to like the middle of the file. You would have to run a command in order to move that cursor down to a specific line number. And then you would run a separate command for printing so that you could see where you were. And okay. let's say that you wanted to modify certain parts of it. Mm -hmm. You would just sort of enter into this edit mode where you're just you had a single line to edit and then you would kind right. of modify it the way you want and then you'd press enter and then it would kind of save it to the file mm, so, so this, this was, would be like editing a record in the database you just i don't know take out the one specific i don't know id let's put it a, a line yeah in this case and then you would just save it yeah um this is this is my impression of what editing was like before you sort of had these gooey environments um, mm -hmm. it, it's interesting to see that as soon as they had this language that had this very neat structure about it, that instead of going the route of doing line-based editing, they went the route of doing uh, sort of expression-based so that they, rather than going straight to a line number, they would sort of navigate these tree-like structures and they would say, mm -hmm. let me go into this expression, let me do this. Uh, so, mm -hmm. and, so the navigation bec became tree-based but also the editing became tree-based. So instead of just modifying the text of a line, you would be modifying the structure. So like, let me wrap the third argument in parentheses. Let me move this parentheses to kind of swallow the next three arguments. Uh, all of those things just sort of became available. So that's, that's what they kind of explored in 1967 with the very first editor here called the Interlisp Teletype Editor. Well, so that was the start of barfing as slurping. Yeah, it's crazy. It's crazy to see it <laughs> because, um, of course, they didn't have this weird language. I think that was kind of a humorous thing that they they added after the fact, some decades later. But they just had very very simple uh, command names like left in, uh, left out, mm. right in, or right out. Yeah. Mm. What's the next part of the story? I could talk about the next. Uh, editor that came after this that came out of Interlisp, and this is kind of where where they jumped into the into the GUI. But okay. I 
um, was having trouble finding or was just asking around to see what kind of editors were there because uh, all I was doing was just pouring through uh, research papers and things like that. And uh, this guy just kind of spoke up on Reddit and he's like, my name is Tim Noko. I made a really good like Lisp editor back then that not many people knew about. So I checked it out and it was really cool. It's called uh, Noko Lisp. Okay. And to me, it makes sense to cover this one next because it's 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 very much a uh, it feels like a a slight improvement on what I just described. So mm-hmm. um, I kind of talked about how there's a line based editor for like kind of the these original the original environment of just treat, treating uh, of using line based navigation. Uh, so he kind of hybridized, sort of uh, combined these two ideas into a hybrid, and. So you navigate the same way by drilling into these tree structures, but okay. uh, what he would do is he would visually display it as a child on each line. So once you're at an expression, he'll just print every single uh, child of that current expression. Let's say we have uh, like an if expression. Uh, mm-hmm. At the first line, you would say you would see if. At the second line, you would see the condition like. Uh, X is less than two. And then the third one, you would have like uh, the the then expression. And then the next line, you would have the else expression. And the reason for doing this is that you can use the arrow keys up and down in order to select the next expression that you want to drill into. So okay. it, it would take this tree-like structure and give you a line-based way for navigating them and viewing them. Mm-hmm. It was really interesting. So you would just move the cursor down to a specific line, and then you would kind of modify it in place as if you're kind of just in a line-based editor. It was really neat. So uh, let's say you kind of went to the third line and then press enter, and then you would that became the new current expression, and then it would kind of explode the view from there. Um, does that make sense? Yeah, it sounds very interactive now. <laughs> yeah, uh, it was kind of moving in that direction. Rather than just using commands to navigate and edit, uh, it was becoming more visual so that you could still sort of adhere to the terminal based view. I mean, I can imagine. So there is one way to just like going in and then there will be another comment for like, I don't know, bubbling up if I could yeah, put it this way. Exactly. You would mm-hmm. go like up in expression. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. So what happened after Nocolisp? In 1980, they had this editor called ZMAX. And this was mm-hmm. kind of the, the, uh, the first structure commands for an actual text editor. So Emacs, it was some kind of form of it called Zemacs. And it was the first reference I could find for some of the original structure commands for editing Lisp. So everything we know about paredit sort of comes from that time. And it's weird, it's weird seeing that because it's it's largely unchanged. There's a, a wrap expression, there's I mean a wrap command, there's navigating to matching prints, even highlighting the matching ones where the cursor is, um, mm-hmm. even like an expression to to dump as many closed parens as you need to end the definition. <laughs> it's like, yeah, all that stuff. So that came out of there. All right. So, okay. So it will like infer or like by command, it would just say, <laughs> yeah. this is how many you need. Yeah. It, yeah. That's a, that's an inference command for sure. Yeah. Uh, so this is almost like 40 years ago by now. Yeah. It's, uh, it's about 40 years ago. But it's really not that long ago, <laughs> you know? Yeah. 
Uh, so the next really interesting one was de-edit. This is kind of where we're moving away from the command prompt environment and trying to create a more visual environment for editing. So um, as soon as you get into de-edit, you finally enter this space where you can start clicking expressions. And okay. the idea is that they were sort of keeping the same operations for editing, um, but instead of forcing you to insert a command and then specify the the expressions via numbers, like the third expression, the third child of the current expression that you're in, it would just uh, sort of visualize that argument by allowing you to click an expression and then it just became the argument. So let's say that an operation had two arguments. It would allow you to say that the first argument would be solid underlined and then the second argument would be dotted underlined. So Okay. It, uh, so there is a a way to use the mouse in order to left click an expression to say this is the solid underlined one, and then it would allow these. So if you were to click a second one, uh, it would it would uh, dotted line the previous one and then solid line the current one. So that was kind of this weird way to specify arguments. Essentially, you would just click one expression and then click the second expression, and then it would just show you, it would show you the solid line and then the dotted line in order to correspond to the the operation arguments. Yeah, I'm just wondering what. So, what would be the reason actually to click them? Yeah, I mean, you would have these different swap operations, but most, I think, so if you wanted to swap two expressions, you would just you know click two of them and then click swap, right? Yeah, so you change the positioning of the arguments in this way? Yeah. Okay, so let's say you wanted to click on a, a right print or whatever, mm -hmm. and you wanted to extend that right print to a certain position. You would just click that right print, and then you would click the argument that you would want it to go over, and then you would say, what is it, uh, right out? Mm -hmm. And then it would like extend that over. Mm. This is very difficult to explain via audio. Yeah, it is. Yeah, I can. Yeah, I'm already feeling. I'm just trying to imagine. I think the first <laughs> one went pretty smooth. I think you know with the line editing and stuff. But this one, I'm having a hard time also understanding uh, understanding this. I'll I'll try not to go too much into detail then, since like we're kind of entering this visual territory that's really hard to talk about. Mm -hmm. So with deedit, uh, you finally have this environment where you can actually click arguments. So this was nice because instead of having to specify numbers for the child expressions that are sort of the target for these different operations, like moving parentheses back and forth, you could just click one and then uh, specify where you want that paren to be moved by clicking the position where okay. you want it to be moved. And mm -hmm. then uh, it's interesting, you would just have this flow of clicking expressions and then clicking the command. Um, right. So uh, let's say I want to ex extend a right paren over three arguments over. Uh, the operation would be I would click that expression and then I would click the expression to the right where I would want it to expand into. And then I would click the command that would say it's, it's called RO for write out. So they kind of had this language for that. So you click two arguments in the actual code, and then you would click a button on the screen that would correspond to 
the movement of that parentheses. Hmm. Does that make yeah, sense? I guess at the same, yeah, I think at the same time the mouse was introduced or around this time. So everybody was, I guess, you know, trying to find the new ways to maybe navigate through the code or something. Yeah, exactly. Hmm. Yeah, I can't remember what year that was, but it was early 80s. I think it was like 80s, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The editor that came after that was uh, something that sort of took away the buttons for commands, and it really allowed you to start typing in place. But in order to do this, they just sort of added more and more like visual artifacts. Like there are three different types of cursors so that you could tell whenever you're editing inside of a word, or if you're starting to edit the structure of, for example, like uh, it, it was like a solid carrot when you're editing the structure, and it was um, it was just a stroked cursor if you were editing inside of a single expression. So you weren't changing the structure; you were just sort of modifying the content of a of an atom. And like there's there's left clicking, there was right clicking, there's middle clicking. You could even like hold shift and instead of making these underlined selections, you can make box selections so that you could, I'm sorry, let me let me drill into that. So you can make uh, underlined selections were sort of completely atomic. You could only, you could only select like a single thing, uh, like a single atom or a single expression. But with these um, extended selections, it would allow you to select siblings or you could, uh, select like part of a word or whatever uh there was there was this very i don't want to say complicated it wasn't too intuitive but it allowed you to um sort of feel around this space in a very structured way uh it was it's it's fascinating i can't explain too much of it over audio but i i highly recommend just looking through the, the way that I documented the carrot states and the selection types. And it's it's very interesting if you're interested in, in looking at that. Uh, I don't think there's anything like it. And this was 30-some uh, years ago. All right. Yeah, so we will link in the show notes the, the link to the repo uh, so people can just look at that uh, because I think it's super actually difficult to explain. You know? <laughs> yeah. So, okay, so this is the general theme, right? I mean, we started with this uh, editing of the lines and then we moved to the editing of the S expressions and then we can drill up, drill down. Uh, and then the mouse com comes up and we just start to maybe experiment a bit with editing with the mouse and clicking. And this is yet another look at it where we can just move the stuff around with, uh, with different editing modes. So you said these are three editing modes? I guess I would not really call them editing modes. You kind of had two... Oh, no, I think you're right. It, there, because there is like uh, three separate selection modes, but on each of these modes, you can sort of edit them in place. So I would say, yeah, there's three sort of selection and editing modes. And then I think for the for a long time, there is not a lot of happening or... Yeah, I would say that there is not a lot happening in terms of like making the GUI really interesting and, and rich and kind of exploring the different types of... Um, exploring different types of like structural editing, but you sort of have, I think is this return to maybe just simplicity. I kind of document well, what Dr. Scheme did uh, in the early aughts. They just uh, would do things, just helpful things like making sure that your, your parens were balanced with the correct types. So if you had an open square bracket 
and then you typed in like a closed curly, it'll just kind of automatically do that for you. Mm-hmm. There's a bunch of other things that it that it did uh, that I can't remember too well. I think that might have been the first environment where they started coloring the the parentheses in order to help you match them. But there's sort of parallel to this, you sort of had this uh, this rejection of the parentheses as important and you had a lot of attempts to sort of imply the structure by using indentation so you had a lot of alternate syntax syntaxes for lisp show up in the form of um indentation based things um so that that was an interesting route that was pretty well explored there's so many different there's so many different attempts at doing this. Um, I think the best one is probably, man, I can't, I can't remember what it was. It was, was it I expressions or readable? Readable. Okay. Yeah. I would, I would just look at uh, readable as expressions by David Wheeler. Um, okay. He does a really good, I mean, he just completely fleshes out the problem and you can see that whenever you introduce when you try to simplify things in terms of indentation, you end up with a lot of cases of ambiguity, and it ends up it ends up actually accreting more uh, special syntax for these cases. So I think that's ultimately what made this stuff not catch on too well. Was sort of the fuzziness of these edge cases kind of made it a lot less compelling to use. So that's what that was. So this is like removing the parentheses and just trying to edit this with indentation? Yeah, because people, I mean, they're sort of recognizing this redundancy of what was being indented and what the parens were saying, right? Mm-hmm. Um, right. Mm-hmm. So that's that's ultimately what every indentation-based stuff does is they rely on this intuition that people have, not just programmers, whenever they make a list of like a to-do list, right? They'll right. They'll start out with like the top level things. And then to make mm-hmm. more detailed, they would indent and add like sort of these sub lists at an indented mm-hmm. level. And that's, that's an extension of what we do in indentation, indentation based languages. Whenever you see mm-hmm. indentation, it implies some sort of nesting. I think the failure to kind of make this stuff work for Lisp well, might've been a combination between just people really liking their parentheses, but also not really liking the impurity of the different syntax artifacts that had to be injected to account for these weird cases inside. Mm. So that's, that's kind of where par and for kind of comes in because it's trying to marry both of those ideas together. Um, it's, it's basically saying, okay, nobody's wanting to use these indentation based expressions, but there's, there's a lot of there's a lot of uh, th- there's a lot that's compelling about it. Um, so maybe we can kind of combine both of those designs together somehow. So that's where Parnfor came, where it was just like, um, yes, this is how we indent it. Uh, let me just move the parentheses for you based on how you're indenting, and yeah, it just became a very compelling and uh, compelling design problem to try to solve. Parinfer is an add-on uh, for different editors. There is one for Atom, uh, there is one for Editor, but the smart mode doesn't work on all of them as as well as it does in Atom. So what's the story there? 
I, I did a lot of work on Adam initially um, to get smart mode working. Uh, it was kind of a proof of concept environment. Um, and it was very difficult to to kind of work with that particular API that, that the the editor provides so that I can mm-hmm. deduce the types of changes to make smart mode always do the right thing. Um, I did that. And the reason why I only focused on one thing was uh, we needed an environment to sort of prove out this idea to get feedback from users so that um, before before kind of spreading it to different editors, uh, mm-hmm. to making this stuff available, I just wanted to make sure that we're doing the right thing. And it seemed like uh, Adam was the one that was being most used. So I put smart mode in this, you know, the most popular form of it. Um, from there, uh, we got a little bit of feedback, not as much as we wanted. Uh, it just, it, it currently exists as a, it's hidden under an option. Uh, it's just a checkbox for using smart mode versus indent mode. So you can check that and try it there. Uh, there was some request to use it in Visual Studio Code, and it's it's currently stopped there because uh, what what is required in order to uh, make the right decisions in Smart Mode is uh, a lot of editor API. It, it's we need synchronous we need synchronous notifications of uh, the exact types of changes, and that's just something that we can't get from uh, from that API. So uh, Chris Oakman is kind of working on that uh, here and there, but the next step there is to kind of just ask for a better API so that we can make it happen there. Okay, so this is Adam VS Code, and I think uh, it's also available in Cursive, no? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, Colin has uh, really jumped in and uh, tried to make it work as, as well as possible inside of IntelliJ. Uh, mm-hmm. It kind of has its own... Uh, difficulties in making it work in that environment, but he seems to have done a, a very good job in making that work. He mm-hmm. gets a lot of good feedback on what it does. That's the other prime in- environment. So I would say that the two prime environments for trying this are Atom and Cursive. Uh, there is also Jason Jason Felices. He's been making this stuff work in Vim and Cocoon. He's been doing a lot of work with the the Vim API as well as Cocoon API. And I think he's done some poor requests to make that work better there. I would say the state of the art for smart mode is between those three editors, Cursive, Atom, and uh, Vim and Cocoon. Uh, what about like uh, Emacs, Spacemax story? Uh, this guy in China, his name is uh, Tian Shu Shi. He was working on uh, the Emacs port of it. I don't think he's working on it anymore, but uh, the progress is there for, I think, for other people to sort of pick up. Um, the difficulty there is that Parinfer is kind of split up into two different parts. You have okay. the core that is really doing a lot of the the operations behind what smart mode is actually doing. And then you kind of have the shell. And the problem is that uh, the shell that is connecting the editor to the core, dealing with things like uh, when this change happens, you know, run this type of edit. So... The problem is that that shell has to exist separately. This is not really portable across different editors. Um, mm-hmm. So uh, the problem is that the core is actually, it, it's a lot of code. And in order to make it work across these different editors, we kind of have just to just choose the language that that editor works with. For example, like Sublime uses Python. Uh, mm-hmm. Vim uses Vimal, whatever. Uh, the hope is to make the core portable perhaps by writing it in Rust, which is what Jason Felice has done. 
and hopefully port it into maybe like an executable and then these editors can just call to it and then get the string back and then use that to inject it back into the file. Um, but apart from that, the shell still has to be written separately. So I think to make it work on Emacs, we would have to port uh, to make Parn for Rust work a little better and then just create a story around how to to use that from Emacs and then write the shell around Emacs. There's a lot of details here that have to be worked out. Yeah, for like from our discussion, I believe this is actually a very complicated problem. So I I can yeah. imagine that after getting getting it like work on Atom, you felt like my goodness, I'm just I'm good. <laughs> well, the problem is that this is there's nothing that really does anything like it. It's it it's asking so much from the editor, right? Mm. It's like what type of changes are you making? Let me know before the change is actually made so that I can intercept and do the right thing it's like it's it's this really weird editor wrapper that it's sitting between the the user and the and the file it's very strange it's kind of unique in that regard and that's part of what makes this such a difficult problem smart mode was what introduced complexity but really what was really compelling about the original modes was that it's just a pure function of your code what drive you to create the smart mode or the parent fair yeah, it was it was actually a frustration with uh, trying to sell closure as like a viable technology at this company I was working at. Um, there's a lot of resistance to risk uh, to Lisp as an idea. Um, mm -hmm. That it this it always feels like there's a resistance that that um, this language with with its very strange barrier of parentheses density. Uh, will never be viable as a technology that people can hire for, um, or it, it's always perceived as a risk. So um, what I what I really wanted to do was to first just understand the problems, like why, why this is a problem, and to perhaps make bridges between what people already understand in terms of annotation, and to try to um, really understand the space of what it is about Lisp that really um, scares people away mm -hmm. so just in writing a lot of comparisons and looking at different examples of different syntaxes uh, i just started seeing the redundancy of what parentheses were much like people did whenever they're trying to create these alternate syntaxes and then i was i, I was able to see that there was enough of a relation to make a tool in order to automate that understanding of it so um through that like the entire thing it just it fell out as as like a an attempt to understand why it really bothers people uh, b an attempt to really automate that understanding instead of like feeling like you're just throwing a book at somebody and saying look like your emotions are invalid Lip, uh, all you need to do is just like learn these few things um and then kind of the last one is to try to like present it as something where uh, yes, there are people in the Lisp community that really care about um, the way you feel about it, and to 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 try to create an experience that meets you where you are, in order to make this like a very like a smooth experience as possible, right? So mm -hmm. um, the whole motivation was to 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 communicate that Lisp uh, can be a good experience, or at least that people are trying to make it that. I mean, I think you really achieved it with the smart mode in Atom, you know, because the editing is, you know, you don't have to learn anything new. You can just navigate with your cursor, 
you can backspace it will indent everything automatically it's just i think it's great awesome man thanks yeah all right sean thank you for your time and um, catch you next time okay bye if you find this podcast valuable there are many ways you can support it you can review it on itunes or any other platform you're listening to you can share it on social media with your friends you can blog about it, discuss it on your own podcast, and you can support it directly by buying my video courses and learning ClojureScript and Clojure at my website, jacekshe.com. That's J-A-C-E-K-S-C-H-A-E.com. Thank you for your support of this show.